Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So Grace Train, the subtitle last week was Amazing Grace. And so today what I want to do is I want to, I'm going to let everyone in this series start with the letter A. I don't know why, it's just fun for me to try to do that, all right? So last week was Amazing Grace. Today I want to talk a little bit about Abundant Grace, and I'm going to pick up right where we left off. If you didn't get to hear last week's message, I strongly encourage you to do that because it kind of builds a foundation for the rest of this series. Um, So last week, we ended with this thing in John chapter number 21. For right now, I'm not going to turn to those verses because I just kind of want to get caught up and tie up some loose ends. In John 21, what has happened is we have moved from Old Testament or Old Covenant or the law dispensation John 21, Jesus has been resurrected from the grave, so he has come. He died on the cross for all of us, fulfilling the requirements of the law. John 21, he's alive, and he's showing himself to his disciples. And Peter, the biggest failure so far, is getting ready to receive grace for the first time. So we are moving. What literally is happening at the end of the Gospels is we are transitioning from the Old Covenant to the new covenant that's important because so many christians try to live with a mixture of the law and of grace and what it does is it brings guilt and condemnation and so we close i'm not saying that the old testament is not important we'll get to that later when we talk about rightly dividing the word But we close the chapter to working for righteousness, and Jesus opens the chapter to not what we do, but what He has done, and we receive grace. And in John chapter number 21, we see a story about Peter fishing that symbolizes so many moving parts. Uh, I want to rehearse it again in your hearing for you to grab it. So, he sees Jesus come out of the grave. Remember, he ran to the grave, and uh, Jesus wasn't there. And so now Peter knows Jesus is resurrected. Now, because he's a Jewish boy under the law, shame hits him. Condemnation hits him. Because the last encounter he had with Jesus was the fact that he had denied him. Does anybody remember where he denied him at? Anybody? At a campfire. Remember that? He denied him at a campfire three times. In fact, he even cussed to a junior high girl that he even knew Jesus. How many know that's a pretty epic failure, right, everybody? And so he fails. Now Jesus is back from the dead, and because he's under the law, he is filled with shame. And so you know the story. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Because when you are filled with shame, you will always go backwards to the thing that you once came out of or you're trying to come out of. You will always go backwards to what's familiar. There's a lot of fishermen in the house. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And that's why religion will never deliver us from addictions. It'll never deliver us from guilt or condemnation or the bad habits we're trying to break because all it does when we mess up, we feel guilty and we move back to the things that we're familiar with. 
But Jesus shows up in John 21, having defeated death, hell, and the grave. And Peter sees him. The Bible says this. You can read it later in John 21. It says he sees him from a distance, and he does not recognize Jesus. So there's Jesus on the shore. He's out fishing, catching nothing, by the way. This professional fisherman is catching nothing. Oh, there's some symbolism there. He's catching nothing, and he doesn't recognize Jesus. Remember what Jesus stands for? Jesus' message is grace. I wonder how many disciples, I wonder how many wannabe followers of Jesus don't recognize grace, but we lean more towards what we're familiar with. Come on, everybody. So he doesn't recognize Jesus. Eventually, Jesus speaks to him, and, and, and the Bible says that, Well, let me not get ahead of myself. Let me show you this again. I showed you last week. So John 21 is showing us the closure of the Old Testament. Many people don't realize our Bible is broken into two parts. That's why we've got to rightly divide the word. There's the Old Testament, which is the law. You do right for righteousness. There's the New Testament, which is grace. He did right, so we have righteousness in him. Come on. Right? Okay. And so watch this. They had been fishing all night. One translation says they worked hard all night. If you could, let me use this as a visual illustration. They had cast their nets. They had labored. They had worked. They had kept the law all night. And all night, the Old Testament, come on, does not produce a harvest of fish. You can go to church until you're blue in the face. Come on. But it does not fulfill the longing of our heart. Religion will not fulfill the longing of our heart. Am I right? It's like empty nets, everybody, right? And Jesus shows up on the seashore, and he says to Peter, who is in shame, he's gone back to what he's familiar with, and he says, watch this. One translation is very clear. He says, throw your nets on the right side of the boat isn't that interesting it's just interesting to me it might not be interesting to you but either way what jesus is saying to them you've done it one way for long enough that has produced nothing now i have rose again we are now in the grace dispensation now cast your nets come on on the right side and the bible says there was such a great harvest of fish that they could not contain them all how many is ready to have fruitfulness in your lives right everybody Okay, so then when Peter sees this, he then recognizes it's Jesus, and I want you to watch the transition that should happen in every New Testament believer's life. Because of shame, because he messed up, he went fishing. He's out there fishing, trying to take care of his own guilt. As immediately, as soon as he recognizes it was Jesus, as soon as he recognizes grace, everybody, the Bible says he jumps out of the boat and goes and embraces Jesus. Come on. Because here's what grace does. Grace does not push you further away from God when you mess up. Real grace makes you jump out of the boat half naked to come in front of Jesus and embrace him. That's the difference between law and grace. I know it's early, but give the Lord a good hand. Come on, everybody, for his grace. We've got to put some double shots in that caffeine out there. Watch this. Here's what I find fascinating. You might not, but it's fascinating that Jesus is building a campfire. He asks for one of the fish that they've just caught, and he serves them a fish-filled breakfast. Ah, you missed it. Where did Peter fail at? 
He failed at a campfire. Where did Jesus restore him at? He restored him at a campfire because grace will always meet you at the place of failure and take care of the failure so you don't have to go back. You can keep on moving forward. Come on, somebody say a good amen today, right? And so what's happening right here in John 21 is Jesus is, if you would, requalifying Peter. Peter had disqualified himself. But Jesus is requalifying him under grace. If Jesus hadn't rose again, Peter's life would have ended in condemnation and an eternity without Jesus because of his mistake. Come on now. But Jesus is turning the pages between the old and the new, and he restores Peter. I love this. Sin has disqualified every one of us in this building. But what resurrected Jesus, what grace does, is it requalifies every one of us and restores us in other words brings us back to our original intent so we can be all that God has called us to be come on so let's go back to the law for a moment and then I want to visit three of Jesus's most popular miracles and show you something one of which is where we started with last week so in numbers chapter number five numbers is definitely the law how many would agree with me right okay so in numbers chapter five remember that's in the old testament that's in the left side of the Bible. Uh, I wish that we could get everybody that gives their life to Christ not to read any Old Testament until we are established first in grace and then go backwards and read all those wonderful stories. Now, I'm not saying the Old Testament isn't important. It has principles to live by. But if we're not taught right, then we get confused and we mix the two together. All right? So watch this. I'll get to that later in this series. So watch what the Lord says under the law. This is fascinating. The Lord said to Moses, Moses represents the law. I see that shining all in your eyeballs. There we go. I'll turn that. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites, watch this, to send away from the camp anyone. Okay, so watch this. They're in a camp. L let me say it our way. They're in the circle. They're, they're in the camp. They're in the church. But if they don't look right, talk right, send them out of the camp. If they don't do these ten things on our membership list, send them out of the camp. Ah. All right, they send them away from the camp. Anyone, watch what, watch this. Here, here's how they get sent out of the camp. Send, send anyone who has a defiling skin disease. Oopsie, got a pimple? You're out. Or a discharge of any kind. Runny nose? You're out. Or who is ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. You're out of the circle. How many know at Radius we got to keep the circle open so that we don't quit closing the circle on those that only believe or look like we believe? Come on, somebody. We have to open the circle because everybody has the right to come sit in a black chair and discover or search for truth just like you and I are doing. Right, everyone? Okay, now watch this. With this in mind, I'm going to go fast through this. Last week we opened up with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching. And he's elevating the law. It's all symbolic. It's symbolic of him being in heaven. He gives man the law. Man can't keep the law, so he comes down the mountain. And the first person he comes encounter with has 
Leprosy, all right, that's for all you three that listened last week. Okay, so they, he had leprosy. Jesus comes, and it's symbolic. He's in heaven, he gives the law, we can't keep the law, so he leaves heaven and he comes down to earth, and the first person he encounters is sinful, sinners. Leprosy is to the physical body what sin is to the spiritual body, okay? So watch this, keep this verse up here. Command the Israelites to send away uh, from the camp, anyone who has a defiling skin disease, what does Jesus do? He breaks the law, or he fulfills the law, or he twists the law, or he opens a new chapter. Come on. And what does he do? He touches the very person that the law said, get out of the camp. And he says, you're still in my... That's why we preach an open circle here. Come on, let's just go a little bit further. You don't have to go far into his miracles. Mark chapter number five. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? So she's touching the hem of his garment. Wait a minute, you can't do that, Jesus. Because, go back, go back to my verse, previous verse, if you can. Because anyone with a discharge of any kind is not allowed by the law. But Jesus turns around and heals her. While he's healing her, Jairus comes up and says, my daughter is dying. While he's healing her, Jairus' daughter dies. He marches toward the dead daughter anyway, touches her and brings her back to life. And watch this, because anyone who has touched a dead body, here's what grace is doing. Grace is saying, all of you that have been disqualified and put out of the camp, grace requalifies you and brings you back into the camp. Come on, somebody, right? Woo! That's why Radius has to be an open circle. Otherwise, we're not a church of grace. Come on, you know I'm right about that. If we're going to be grace, we have to let whosoever will come and search for the love of Jesus, right? Come on now. Uh, uh, law has always disqualified us. So, um, let's see. I just lost all my place. Let me go backwards just a little bit. I'm so fired up, I forgot where I'm at. Uh, let's see here. Let me go back the other way. Here, leave my computer alone. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm trying, Mark. I'm trying really hard. I'm, tr I'm trying. I, I push all kind of... I got so fired up. I seen this young man throw his hands up like a champion. I got so fired up, I hit the wrong button and erased all my notes. Here we go, all right? <laughs> all right, so here we go. Let me ask this question. Let, let me ask this seriously. Is guilt haunting you? Don't, don't, don't answer out loud. Is condemnation keeping you from victory? Is shame keeping you outside of the blessings of God? Is it disqualifying you? Because, watch this, as born-again, New Testament, grace-covenant believers, we're supposed to reign in Christ. Let me say that one more time. We're supposed to reign, have dominion, because of grace. Because it's no longer about how we qualify. He has already qualified us. Come on, everybody. Watch. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 7. Here's what it says. For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned, right? We're talking about Adam here. Because Adam sinned, then we're all born sinners. Adam, when he sinned, he began to physically die. Spiritually, he died immediately. So we are descendants of Adam, so we are born spiritually dead. Are we sinners because we've done the act of sin? Thank you. My wife knows. Okay. No, we're not sinners because we did the act of sin. Because we are sinners, we do the act of sin. Okay, so we're not called sinners because we do bad things. We are born spiritually dead, which means we are distant from Christ. Okay? Watch. 
You didn't do anything here. Adam did. It says, for if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned. So in other words, you don't even have to do anything bad to be a sinner. We're born that way because our spirits are dead. Everybody with me? So watch it. That's important because as we go, through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? Let me ask one more question. Are we sinners because we sinned or because somebody else sinned? We just covered this two minutes ago, all right? Because somebody else sinned, all right? You are learning like I learn now, all right? Because somebody else sinned. Okay, so therefore, are we righteous because we do the right thing or because somebody else did the right thing? See, you guys know that answer, huh? That's good, that's good, okay. So because one man sinned, death reigns. But because God's uh, abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, we can reign in life through the one man, and his name is Jesus. Come on, man. So here's what this verse does. This verse goes on to tell us something very significant. You ought to take a picture of that or at least jot it down and go study it and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. Because here's what it tells me. I can reign. I can quit having empty nets and have boatfuls, come on, of God's fruitfulness and blessings and favor on my life. Not because I did right, but because I believe right. I'm going to preach right here. There's this little groove right here. Everybody right here is with me, all right? Okay. <laughs> so, so, th- so that's what that tells me. This verse goes on to tell us that all we have to do is receive grace and the gift of righteousness, and we will reign in life. That's not hard. I don't even have to do anything. All I have to do is receive two things according to that verse. All I have to do is receive grace. Receive it. Not work for it not pay for it, not go shopping for it, not carry the right translation of Bible, not come to church this right amount of times, not amen the preacher right amount of times. I don't have to do anything but receive gift of grace and receive the gift of righteousness. And if I fully embrace those, if I get it, if I receive it in my life, I will jump out of the boat and find favor in Jesus Christ. I will reign in Christ. So some of us, that's kind of an old word. We don't use that word a lot anymore. So here's what reign means. It means this. It means to have, uh, it means to rule or to have, to, to rule or, uh, to have rule or authority or to dominate. Would anybody like your emotions instead of them ruling you, you rule them? Would anybody like to dominate uh, situations and circumstances instead of them dominating you? Come on. Would anybody like to have dominion over all powers of darkness rather than you thinking all powers of darkness have dominion over you? That's what grace and righteousness will do in our life. And ladies and gentlemen, again on our wall, that's finding freedom. That's knowing God. That's discovering purpose when we embrace those two things. Amen, everything? everybody okay so two things that's all I got time for two points today some of you are glad some of you are sad I like the sad people number one number one here's what we got to do number one is we have to receive the gift of righteousness 
That's what Romans just told us. All we got to do is receive two things. Number one is the gift of righteousness. Woo! Now watch this. Righteousness is not about you doing right. Righteousness is about us believing right. Remember, we moved, right? Right, everybody? Doing right, believing right. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe. Doing right, law. Believing right, grace. Whoever believes in him. Come on now. That's righteousness. Righteousness is kind of this confusing word. It's a, it's an old, uh, it's a Bible word, but really it just means uh, I'm in right standing with God. Can you imagine for the rest of your life living under the understanding I'm in right standing with God? When I mess up, I'm in right standing with God. When I don't let people merge on I-5, I'm in right standing with God. Now, you might not be in right standing with me, all right? But you're in right standing with God. Come on, somebody. When I mess up, I'm still in right standing because many Christians think as soon as I mess up, I'm going fishing. Come on, tell me I'm wrong about it. Here's what a lot of us do. Maybe not you, but those of you backslidden people online. Just kidding. All right. So uh, what happens is the moment we mess up, what happens? Well, I might as well just go all the way now. I thought a lustful thought, so I'm going to spend three hours looking at pornography. I mean, I already messed up, so I'm going back to what's familiar. Mm -hmm. Doggone it, I messed up, and I had one whatever. Now I messed up, I feel distant, law makes me feel distant, so what happens? We just go all in until we're sick of that, and then we come crawling back into the presence of God, crawling back into church, oh, I hope you'll forgive me, oh God, please forgive me, and God is saying, if you would just receive righteousness, you are in right standing with me. Quit going fishing, I've already got your supply over here. Okay. I don't earn righteousness. It's a gift. Romans clearly tells us that, okay? When we try to attain God's favor by performing, we negate the work of Jesus on the cross. Galatians 2.21. I did a series on this whole subject. Uh, it's on in our library. You can listen to it. Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if, there it is, righteousness could be gained through the law, through doing right, Christ died for nothing. Wow. When we are trying to be religiously pious, ooh, look at me, my breath doesn't even stink, and try to do all that kind of stuff, then what we're saying is, Jesus, I don't need you. The price you paid, I don't need it. That's, that's what this verse is saying. Jesus, and by the way, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law. He came in the flesh to live in the flesh and fulfill all the requirements for the law so that you and I don't have to. He was righteous. There is only one righteous, the scripture says. He was righteous. He was crucified for it, but he even defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now all we have to do is get in him. Right, everybody? Okay. Um, and so Jesus proves this in Matthew chapter something. Matthew, what do I got? Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yes, the law is still good. I'm not saying go out and break the law. It's still good not to murder. How many would agree, right? 
it might be good to think about, no, I'm sorry, no, 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 all right? Okay, so when my debt on my house is paid, how many know it'd be silly for me to keep mailing in my mortgage payment? Right? Come on now. And so oftentimes that's how we live. Um, and, and, and so uh, let's see. What happens is when we start preaching the law, we totally dismiss, uh, we dismiss the power of the cross and we rearm the enemy with the weapon of the law. Remember this. He's an accuser. If we, if we were sitting in court today, the prosecutor, the accuser, he would come with the law to accuse you. That's exactly what the devil does. He comes with the law. He don't even have to make up stuff. It's all the stuff over there in the Old Testament that we messed up on. Come on, you know I'm right about it. All right? Okay, so, so uh, here, here's what it says on this. Let's go to Colossians really quick. Colossians says this. Having canceled the written code, that's the law, he canceled it. He fulfilled it, okay? With its regulations, all the regulations, that was against us. How many know the law is against us? Because we can't keep them in our flesh. And stood opposed to us. He, being Jesus, took it away, nailing it to the cross. Watch this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross come on man isn't that good i mean that's good that's better than your amen and i'm telling you right now he disarmed them so every time we legalistically we put guilt on people and and we put rules what we're doing is we're just putting the weapons back in the enemy's hands many people in america don't want to come to church anymore because they feel worse about themselves when they leave than when they came in that's not life-giving that's not grace that's preaching in a way that puts the weapons back in the enemy's hand to start condemning us again but you my friend can reign when you receive the fact that i'm in right standing with christ even when i'm not perfect come on everybody right and what happens when we make christianity all about laws what happens is christianity becomes as fruitless as empty nets do so we come to church but we're not fulfilled We still go fishing, but we're not fulfilled. It's just empty nets out there, all right? The law had one purpose, and that was to recognize our need for a Savior. Romans 3.20, just jot it down real quick to prove what I said. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. I'm not making this up. If you notice, I'm giving you a lot of verses today, all right? Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. That's how we know our depravity, okay? All right, so the gift of righteousness, number two, is the gift of grace. It's the gift of grace. All you have to do is receive the gift of grace. Now, I'm talking to a a room mostly full of Christians. I don't know who I'm talking to online, but most Christians would say, oh, yeah, I got grace. I, I got grace. But there's so much condemnation in the house of God that I would beg to differ. Because many of us, not consciously, but subconsciously, we believe we're saved by grace. But boy, we better work our butts off in order to stay saved by grace. It's a mixture. You're saved by grace. You continue to be saved by grace. 
when Jesus died, he died for our sins, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. If we are in him, come on, we are in grace. Grace allows us not to have to attain for perfection. Now, we're not looking for perfect people, but are you willing to be perfected? I think the answer is yes, otherwise you wouldn't be in church today. In other words, I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to learn, okay? Um, The moment we receive grace, we can begin to reign. That means we get to be victorious. We live in unmerited favor. God blesses us not because we are good. God blesses us, come on, because He is good. Now let me throw something at you real quick. Our culture, our culture has a hard time believing in grace, Because America's culture, I've preached in third world countries. When the communism walls fell in Russia, I went to Russia and preached, and everybody in the whole crowd got saved. I was like, you're not interpreting me right. Say this again. And the whole place stood up to receive Christ. Okay, I've been in third world countries where people are being saved, miracles are happening. America's culture has a hard time living in grace because America's mantra is we work hard to get where we're at. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Ah, I'm a self-made man man and so when jesus comes along and says here it is for you we receive it as a gift but now we want to work on the payback plan Mm -hmm. okay um um, and, and that's why jesus said this that's why jesus said it would be hard for a rich man to receive this message that he's preaching now some might say that i'm telling people to go out and live however they want to please no i'm not saying that i'm not saying that anything goes because we're under grace come on if my debt on my house is forgiven how many know i'm not going to go out and burn the guy that paid off my mortgage and get another mortgage right i'm going to take him out for a steak dinner all right by the way, I'm willing to take anybody out for a steak dinner here. I'm just saying, all right? Okay. <laughs> the Bible's very clear on this. 1 Corinthians says this. It's the strength of sin is in the law. So when we preach about the law, that's the thing that draws us to sin. Stop thinking about pink elephants. If I preach that all the time, you're going to start thinking about pink elephants. But if we preach grace all the time, grace doesn't push us away. Grace pushes us towards. And when we're sorry, we're not saying, I'm sorry, let me back in the kingdom. We're saying, Father, I messed up. Thank you for your grace. I'm so sorry. Can we move on? And You know, right? Okay. So the more grace we receive, the more power we have to overcome. And, and God blesses us in that. One more time, I gave this verse last week, Romans. You guys hanging with me? I'm giving you a lot, right? Okay. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not, not, not His judgment. His kindness. Peter failed <laughs> at a campfire. Jesus is awesome. He's at a campfire cooking fish. Come on, boys. Let's have some breakfast. It's His kindness that draws me back to Him. Not because he's mad at me. If I know he, I think under the law he's mad, I travel farther from him. But under grace, when I mess up, oh man, Jesus, I'm so sorry. It draws me to him. Amen? And there is no condemnation. Um, when, I, when I feel kindness and grace, I want to embrace. I want to repent. Um, the more we recognize we are righteous, the more we have victory over sin. Let me give you two verses. Just jot them down because I won't have time to really dissect them. Second Corinthians. Remember last week I said, many of us don't know what it is. We know what it is to be in church. 
But do you know what it is to be in Jesus? Do you know what it is to be in grace? So when I'm in grace, Jesus, He's righteous, and if I receive His grace, now I am living in Him. So when God said, this is my beloved Son who I'm well pleased, I'm in Him. So God says that to you. This is my beloved Son and daughter. Oh, I know, I, I know you cuss somebody out on your way to church, but God is saying, this is my beloved son. His love is not predicated upon your performance. His love is because of the performance of Jesus on the cross. That ought to make us praise Jesus all the time. So watch this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so watch this, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him, in him. Let me give you one more. Acts chapter number 17. I love this verse. For in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our very identity. Jesus came. People were being worn out by religion. Have you ever met a Christian that is stressed out because they're trying so hard to be good? That's why you meet Christians sometimes that look like they've been sucking on lemons all week. Have you ever met that person? It's like, well, I gave up golf for the glory of God. And they're mad about it. I couldn't go to the Seahawks game because I had to be in church. And they're mad. About it. Have you ever met that person? It's like, dude, I don't even want to greet them. They're scary because they're mad that they've had to do something. Come on now, right? No, I'm in Him. And we've made Christianity so hard because we think it's about all of our sacrifice. It's about His sacrifice. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter something, 11, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. See, He was speaking to those that had been following this heavy religious teaching of the law. He says, take my yoke, partner up with me, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, grace, is easy, and my burden is light. Woo, I love that. I love that. Now, let me just say this. God's not soft on sin. I say, well, it just sounds like God's saying because of grace, anything goes. No. So if you're going, oh, God's soft. God's not soft on sin. Look what happened to Jesus on the cross. And come back to me on that one. He's not soft on sin. He was punished for my transgressions. He's not soft on sin. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For what? Because of my sin. Because of my sin. I want you today to receive the gift of righteousness and the gift of grace. And every time you feel like you mess up and you feel like, oh, I got to go back fishing, I got to go back, I messed up, I looked at, I, I, whatever it is. No, I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. And I have received grace because one man sinned, I have sinful appetites, but because another man defeated death, hell, and the grave and offers this free gift of righteousness, I receive grace. Now I get to reign in Christ. Not because of what I do, but because of what he did. Come on, when you get a revelation of that, nobody will ever have to tell you to praise our Lord and Savior. Amen? Come on, let's give him a good hand clap all over this place. Okay, I'm going for it, Mark. I got five minutes, so leave me alone. Here we go. Watch this. Okay, so let me end with this question. I'm, I'm going to be a little silly about it. We've all heard the term, who's your daddy, right? 
But I want to end with this thought. Just be a little fun with it, but I want to give you something serious. Who's your mama? See, as Christians, we would all say, oh, I know who my daddy is. My daddy is God, my father. But I, I'm, I'm wondering who, who, who your mama is. Because um, in Galatians chapter number 4, Paul uses a typology that teaches very directly the difference between the old and the new covenant. Watch what Paul teaches to the church of Galatian who had formed under grace but has started mixing law into it. Okay, Galatians chapter number 4. Check this out. Paul's using this typology. Who's your mama? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by the slave woman. Uh-oh, come on. You see where I'm going? One by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Come on. We're all born in slavery to sin according to the flesh. We're all, you're here. You're born according, right? Okay, watch this. But, but his son by the free woman, it's your choice if you're going to be free, born again, mm-hmm. was born as a result of a divine promise. New Testament is the divine promise. Watch this. These things are being taken figuratively, okay? So Paul says this is just a metaphor. This is just figuratively, okay? The woman represents two covenants. I didn't write this. this is, I'm reading right out of the Bible, okay? It's right there. She, she, it's born out of two covenants. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, he's talking to the church, like Isaac, he's the one born of the promise, Okay, uh, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh began to persecute the son born by the power of the Spirit. How many feel the battle all the time? The flesh is always persecuting the Spirit. The flesh is always arguing with the flesh, saying, I'm going fishing, but the Spirit is saying, no, 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 Jesus, wait, wait, wait. The, it's prosecution. It. Come on, does anybody ever feel this battle going on? Here it is right here, okay? It is the same now, he says. It's no different. It's the same right now going on. But what does the Scripture say? Watch this. Come on, tell me Paul's not right up in your face. Get rid of the slave woman. Get rid of the law. Get rid of the thing that causes us to be slaves because Jesus showed up and said, we're getting ready to walk into a new dispensation. I no longer call you slaves, but I call you sons. Right? Okay. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never... Oh, my. I wish somebody would get this. For the slave woman, if you live under the law and you become a slave to religion, you will never share in the bountiful fish that are being caught. Come on, somebody. You will spend your whole life. You will spend your whole life going to church. You will spend your whole life doing religious things. You will do your whole life burdened by religion and never receiving the fruitful favor, reigning blessings, inheritance that comes because of living in grace. Come on, get rid of the slave woman. There's so much more I got to do. We're going to end right there. Get rid of the slave woman is all I got to say. All right, everybody, come on now. As the great Saint Porky Pig said, "Bidee bidee bidee." That's all, folks. All right, we're done. <laughs> Would you stand with me, please? <laughs>
<laughs> that is a very unorthodox way to end a church service.